Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to The Noble and Roosh Show, brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome to another episode of The Noble and Roosh Show, hosted by Ball is Life. I'm your host, Roosh Williams, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today, we have big man from the Indiana Pacers, Mr. Miles Turner, coming all the way from Charlotte, where they got a game tomorrow against the Hornets. So, Miles, what's good, man? Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Nothing much, man. Doing all right. You know, just uh, take some time to myself real quick. Want to take some time with y'all. I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. So thank you. But um, look, man, so I kind of want to dive right into it. Uh, we'll, we'll start off with basketball and then we can get to other things later on as well. But um, last night, tough loss to the Pistons. Um, up close and personal with the number one pick, Cade Cunningham. Can you maybe talk a little bit about about last night, how that went, um, and what it was like facing the number one pick as well? Yeah, man. So anytime you go in to play with like you know one of the younger teams or a team that's not, I guess like performing like they want to, like a losing team in a sense, and if you give them any slither of hope or confidence, that's usually when things can go wrong. Like you know they're going to hit every little shot they take. They're going to hit every impossible shot. Get all the foul calls and. You know, we didn't assert ourselves last night. You know, we're in a position now where we're to work, you know we're seeking a little bit. We're kind of searching in a sense. Uh, we're finally starting to get healthy. Finally starting to get our way back. But you know, they gave it to us last night. You know, I've I've always been a fan of Kate. You know, he's from the he's from Arlington, which is really close to where I'm from as well. You know, I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. You know, he had a good game last night, but um, you know, it was unfortunate that things turned out the way they did. But you know, it is what it is. You move on, 82 game season. Absolutely, and you guys are finally getting healthy. Um, Team's going to take some time to gel and click and whatnot. You've had some, you guys have looked so good at times. It's crazy. It's like a roller coaster right now, but that's what it takes. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there like my Timberwolves. I mean, they haven't been healthy for years. So they're just finally getting together and you got to have some patience with this. And you guys are in the hunt and it's, you're not underwater yet. But what, what do you think the biggest issue right now is? I mean, chemistry wise, I mean, you guys are starting the game slow. That's the biggest thing I'm seeing. And how do you change that um, from the slow start? It's just a little bit of inconsistency. Like you said, you know, we'll have games where we come out and beat some of the better teams. And then we're, you know, then we're in a dog fight with Detroit. You know, it's just, you got to take for what it is. I think a lot of it is, um, you know, us getting used to a whole new offense. You know, I hear another thing that's, you know, for the people who watch in the end, I don't know, but, you know, and it's not a, one of the bigger markets. Not a lot of people watch. This is our third head coach in four years. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, for me personally, this is my third offense. I'm having to, adjust to in a sense and you know that that takes time it's not just going to happen overnight you know so 
you know, offense has struggled quite a bit. You know, I think we only scored like 84 points against the Knicks uh, previous game and like 80 or 90 something last night. And, you know, that's not going to cut in, in, in the NBA game. So, you know, finding better ways to score. I think we've been a better, we've been better defensively. Um, we're starting to get there, but, you know, we got to find a way to maximize our offense. And I think that's kind of what we're searching for right now. What is the biggest differences right now between Rick's offense, Nate's offense, and the other Nate's offense, and um, the, the middle guy you had there? <laughs> uh, what, what is yeah. the biggest differences? What are the hardest things to adjust to right now? Well, I think with Nate McMillan, a lot of our offense was structured like in the mid-range and, you know, kind of like an old school kind of kind of approach to things. Then you had Nate Bjorkin where it was just straight threes and layups. Like, don't shoot a mid-range shot. Right. You shoot a mid-range shot. Like, that's just, it's death. And now I, Rick I, is like. Can I interrupt and just ask, Nate Bjorkman, for real, would say, hey, don't shoot the mid-range. Even if you're open, he'd mm-hmm. say, don't shoot it. Oh, legitimately. Yeah. Like, he, okay. he, he it would drive him like insane, you know, wow. you know, Malcolm Brogdon is our point guard. He's, I think that's where he makes a living off his floaters, his little mid range pull-ups and whatnot. And, you know, he had the bad, he had to have, he had knocked down drag outs with him. He was saying, yo, listen, I got to get my mid range. This is my game, you know? And even hey. me personally, like, I think I made a career off of picking pop mid range in a sense. Yeah. I, I spoke with Aaron holiday and Justin. I had him on the show at the same time. And they both said the exact same thing about Bjork. And they're like, well, if everybody's saying that, that's, that's crazy. It's like, Nah, you know, it's everybody, different strokes, different folks. Everybody has different philosophies and the way they approach the game. But at the end of the day, we're the players out there on the floor. You know, whatever we deem necessary, whatever we do, we're the professionals. We've been doing this for, you know, for me personally for a long time now. So, you know, if it's a mid-range shot, I don't care what the numbers or the analytics say. You know, this is the best shot in this situation, so I'm going to take it. And that's the approach you have to take. But anyways, you so, know, with Rick, I, what's that? Yeah. No, keep going. I was going to say I cut you off, and I was going to ask you to keep going. My bad. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm saying I, I actually – with Rick, you know, Rick has been one of the guys who've been known for strictly offense, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, much defense in the past, especially with this Mavericks team, you know, those Maver- these Mavericks teams in the past have been like number one in offense. In right. Sense. All the time. So he, yeah. So, you know, it's not like he, he knows what he's doing for sure, but I think it's just a matter of us kind of, you know, adopting this new mindset, you know, from last, uh, from this season, as opposed to last. And then honestly, just putting the ball in the hoop, man. And it is what it is. You're doing that, man. This is, this clip is unfathomable right now. Like you, I mean, the form doesn't look a ton different to me and I've been trying to figure that out. I mean, I, I, I felt you've always had the shot and I mean, outside of coming into the league, I mean, it's taking you some time and has your form changed a ton throughout the years? Have you changed mechanically? I mean, why, why all of a sudden this year is it that freaking Wilson ball? What are we talking about? Uh, <laughs> why are you jumping like 10% up until last couple of games here. I mean, you're 42% on the year, but uh, yeah. What, what is it for you? I mean, just grinding the off season, man, definitely that I put a lot, I've always put a lot, a lot of work into my shot. Something that's kind of made me, me, maybe, um, you know, who I am today in a sense, but honestly, bro, I think it's all confidence. I think it's just, you can work on something all you want to, if you don't have the confidence, go out there and do it. Then it's just gonna, you know, it's just gonna go to waste. But I think that, you know, I've been, I've been, you know, implored. I've had like the um, people encourage me to shoot the ball. So I'm just taking more and more advantage of my opportunities and just sticking in my shots. You know, I started to watch a little more film in my shot. You know, I have a, you know, I have some people that kind of send me, send my numbers, send my film after each game. So I can kind of evaluate how I'm shooting or, you know, what my form was. But man, you can say it's form, but I honestly think it's just all confidence. I just feel a lot more confident out there in the perimeter. So better looks or just when it's letting go of your fingers, it just feel like they're going in every time now. 
versus before. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like I didn't have confidence before. You know, I yeah. won't say that. It, it's just a matter of like, you know, I know I put all this time into it. Like, I'm about to let this bitch fly. Like, that's just, that's sure. just my mindset. Yeah. Uh, I have a theory that there's a lot of people like that, like you, that maybe the numbers over the years didn't back it up, but you can shoot. And it's not this, you know, people want to overanalyze and say, oh, it's this mechanical change. Nah, man, sometimes it's a lot of shooting to me is rhythm and confidence, like you said, right? And sometimes you just find that perfect balance where you're not even thinking about it. You're just letting it whip and it's dropping. And that's what it seems like is happening for you. 42% career high on a career high, uh, 4.8 attempts per game. So career high percentage, career high volume. Um, obviously in today's game where the stretch big is so important and space is so important on the floor, like that's huge. And you're doing what you've been known for and you're leading the league in blocks. You're almost three and a half per game, um, which I think is also a career high. And if you finish the season, sorry, 3.1 per game, uh, second most in your career. But if you finish the season at this rate, that would be your third season leading the league in blocks. So um, I asked you about Cade Cunningham. I also want to ask you about another rookie um, on your team, Chris Duarte who has been very impressive. Um, he's, I think, 24, so older than you know, the other rookies. Maybe some of that maturity, both mentally and physically, has helped him get off to a quick start. He's been whipping it from 3-2. Um, can you maybe expand or elaborate a little bit on you know, Chris Duarte kind of coming in as a rookie and contributing to your team right away? Yeah, so Chris has really impressed me. I first started watching him in Summer League. I think one thing, like people have to realize that guys that are in the league, we don't, we don't watch college basketball. So like we hear... Sports Center, and then we'll hear like Bleach Report, like some stuff like Balls Life, you know, whatever, like who puts out, you know, some uh, videos or whatnot. But as a whole, we don't just sit down and watch college basketball like we used to. Like my first couple years in the league, I did because I was keeping up with guys in my high school class or, you know, guys with the school. But, you know, I didn't really know who Chris was. And then, you know, when we drafted him, obviously I started looking into him in a little bit. And watching him at Summer League, I was very impressed. He's so poised. Mm -hmm. You know, he, the, way, uh, the way he handles himself out there is actually pretty impressive for, especially for, you know, for being a rookie. But, he just got game, bro. Like sometimes it's just, you know, they talk about rookies having to, you know, get into the system and this is that, bro. If you can hoop, you can hoop. And he just, he just goes out there and does the damn thing. Like he just, um, isolation situations, you know, he's, you know, he's pretty poised and go out there and do his thing. You know, defensively, we're trying to get him up to speed. You know, it's NBA. When you're going out there at the guard, Damian Lillard's, uh, Russ Westbrook's, whatever the world, like it's not going to happen overnight. For sure. But, you know, with what he's done so far, I think he, he you know, the, uh, the sky's the limit. You know, he's definitely in the rookie of the year race, in my opinion. You know, he, I think he's injured a little bit right now. Um, so whenever he gets back out there, he can do, continue to do his thing. But, you know, I, I really like what he's doing. He's got a great upside. Do you think he's more polished because he stayed in college longer? Or do you not think that has much to do with it? Oh, he's old as hell. Yeah, definitely. That definitely <laughs> has a lot to do with it. Yo, I'm 25. I know it's nuts as a rookie. Like it's insane. It's crazy. That definitely has it definitely has a lot to do with it. You know, when you come in at 19, you know, 20 years old or whatever, of course it's gonna take some time for you to get used to one, you know, being in the grown man's world, and two, just learning how the way um, the NBA works in a sense. But I think he's you can tell he's put a lot of work into his body and put a lot a lot of work into his craft as well. It's not just all it just happened overnight for him. So can you also um another guy that I want to talk about is um you know, last year you traded, not you, the Pacers traded Victor Oladipo to my Houston Rockets, who then traded him to the Miami Heat. But Victor Oladipo was a big part of what Indiana did, you know, for a long time. And so mm -hmm. you replace him with Karis LeVert. And Karis LeVert uh, has a lot of talent. He's been injured on and off, but um, in this season, he's missed, I think, half of your games, eight out of 16. Can you kind of speak to the importance? Like, basically, do you think that 
this team can kind of get off to the to the performance that you're expecting with the help of Karis LeVert? Has he kind of been a missing piece in some ways? Most definitely. Karis is someone who can get out there and break down any defense that's in front of him in a sense. You know, it gets to a point where, you know, I think this year we played a couple games without Karis and without Malcolm, and we can never really break that first line of defense in a sense. Like, you can't break down a crate for others, you know, as well as crate for yourself. And that's what Karras is really good at, elite at that. You know, he gets to his mid-range, he's able to create for himself, and you got to have that. And, you know, if you're not able to get past that first line of defense, then it's like, we're just standing out there shooting threes all game, you know. You got to be able to get to the rim, you got to be able to get the hoop, and that's something that he brings to the, to the table and something that we were missing. So, you know, he's one of the better one-on-one players I've seen, and you know, he puts a lot of work in as well. So, yeah. Who do you think you run the best two-man game with right now? Who, who brings the most value? To you on the team, um, on the offensive side of the ball? Offensively, probably TJ McConnell. You know, I Love spent it. a lot of time. Yeah, I spent a lot of time at the four in that starting unit. So I'm not as involved in the pick and roll actions or a lot of the screening actions. I do a lot of floor spacing. But when I'm alone in there at the five with that second unit, uh, me and TJ got some pretty good synergy. You know, we talk to each other a lot. You know, he's able to, he knows where I like the ball. He knows how to get me the ball in certain situations. And, you know, that's, that's huge to me because, you know, there's games where, you know, I only shoot the ball three or four times, and that's frustrating, you know, for, for anybody. No, I bet. But, you know, yeah, but when I'm out there with him, he usually tries to, you know, give me the ball in the better situation. So, yeah. So when, when those nights are going, I mean, you've had a couple of them a lot less this year, but uh, when those nights are going where you're not getting the volume that you're hoping for, um, how, how do you get that going? I mean, is it just talking? Is it moving more? I mean, just it's hard, hoping bro. they find uh-huh. you, man. Nah, I'm gonna keep it hundred. It's hard, man. It's you know, for someone who's been here as long as I have, you you'd expect that. Okay, you know, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who's gonna get the shots. This, this, and that. But that's just not always the case, you know. For you know, for me personally, I gotta try to find other ways to impact the game. And a lot of that starts defensively for me. You know, if I can get out there and block a few shots, that kind of amps me up and gets me going, or just you know, get into my defense. But you know, human nature, you're, you're gonna get frustrated. You're gonna piss me off with the ball two or three times. So I try to crash crash the boards as much as I can offensively. And then just try to you know, insert myself as much as I can, you know. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just take it for what it is. You know, you can go out there and, you know, bitch and moan at your teammates, like, give me the ball, this is that, or go to coach. But, you know, that's not how a game flows sometimes. And I've just kind of accepted the fact that, you know, I'm not going to be the guy every night in, night out. I'm not going to get 20 shots a game. So that just all means maximizing my opportunities. You know, I think that's why, you know, when I get the ball on the perimeter, I'm letting it fly. Or like when, I'm, when I get my um, – my opportunities in a sense, I'm taking full advantage of, you know, because sometimes they're seldom. Do you think that, or do you ever consider being in a situation where you could take advantage of more of the, of being on the ball more, or have you accepted now that you're, you know, what, I think seven years in um, to your career at age 25, kind of in the prime of your athletic career, beginning the prime. Um, are you settling into the role that you have carved out for yourself, which is, you know, you're putting up a career higher rebound, you score 13, 14, seven, eight boards three blocks, dominate the paint, and now stretching things out? Or do you, do you kind of think of a situation where maybe you could do more and get the ball more and, and be more active on the ball? No, I definitely haven't accepted no type of role. I definitely aspire for more. Hell yeah. I think that, I think that um, <clears throat> it's easy in year seven, year eight. That's when you know, front offices or even fans themselves try to put a label on you. Hey, you know, well, you are what you are. You're a finished product. But that's, that couldn't be further than the truth. You know, I'm not even in my prime yet. Like I said, I'm 25 years old. It is year seven, but um, there's definitely a lot more I could be doing out there. I know that. I think a lot of people know that. But, you know, with the role that I'm in right now, I've always been 
a team first guy. Always have been my throughout my entire career. So I'm gonna do whatever it takes, you know, for you know, for to maximize, you know, myself on this team. But I know I'm capable of a lot more out there. I know there's I know I can thrive, you know, in um in different situations, but you know, this is where I'm at right now. So when I, I to uh, clarify, when I said prime, I just meant like your body, like physically. Um you know, yeah, you're starting to become wash, Miles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit. Miles, let me tell you, I'm 32, and uh, just and wait you're washed as fuck. Let's be wait till, yeah, I'm, I'm as washed as it fucking gets. I dream of the days when I was 25, but um, but no, I'm, I just mean physically, like you know, your body is in that stage where everything is just clicking, and now mentally as well, like you're just mature, and you know, you kind of hit that right. Way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I mean, I agree with you, right? You're putting up career high numbers in in an area uh, of statistics, and your usage which uh, not to get analytical with it, but I think usage is uh, a pretty low. Valuable... Yeah, it's low. You can say, you can take what it is. It's low. <laughs> it's low. It's low, right? It's the third lowest yeah. of your career, 18%. But I think that speaks to, you know, if it increased, the numbers would obviously be in accordance with that and, and increase. So you're putting up career highs in a wide variety of statistics, despite the third lowest usage of your career, which is obviously impressive. Um, so I wanted to ask a question that kind of links to what you've been talking about with, you know, your tenure there and maybe potentially having a chance to be used more. Um, this is from one of our listeners names, Rhett Bauer, shout out to Rhett. He asks, what does it mean to be the longest tenured pacer, but then still hear your name in trade conversations on an annual basis? Has that fueled your play at all this year? You know, it used to really bother me maybe like two, two, three years ago. That's when I first kind of started hearing my name in you know, trade rumors, whatnot, you know, my numbers down a little bit and it was, you know, okay, Miles and Domas play together and yada, yada, yada. You know, it, it used to kind of get to me in a sense like, damn, well, you know, would I be better somewhere else? Like, am I going to get traded? And now, yo, I just realized that, you know, you work, you work so hard. You work your entire life to get here in this organization in a sense. You don't ever realize the fact that it really is a business, right? Like, you just, you're here for the fun of the game, here for the love of the game. But this is a business at the end of the day. So that's kind of the mindset I adopted. Like, yo, listen, if I get traded, then, you know, it's their loss. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my thing somewhere else. And if not, then, you know, they're making the right decision because I know, I know where I belong. I know what I'm capable of doing since. So, you know, you can easily get salty about certain things. Some of the greatest players of all time have been traded. You know, it, it is what it is. But the mindset I adopted is I'm going to go out there and do me regardless. So it doesn't really phase me more, affect me more. I hear my name every day in trade room to Boston, Sacramento, San Antonio, yada, yada. Like, it's whatever. Like, I, I, I see all the articles and stuff. People tag me nonstop. It's impossible to avoid in a sense. But, you know, I think that transparency with the front office is important. You know, I've had multiple conversations with them. You know, they've kept it real with me and I respect that. You know, I, there's been plenty of situations where guys have been traded and they had to find out through Twitter or they just had to find out through the homeboys calling them and stuff like that. You know, hoping that wouldn't be the case, but the transparency that I have in my front office is nothing that's actually helped me out as well. Man, that's awesome. And what I've been hearing from you and in your interviews and everything is you just seem a lot more grateful. Uh, you understand um, what you got going on and like, what what you're given and uh i honestly think it should be a blessing to hear your name in trade rumors because that means you're wanted that means teams need you and like for instance i've never looked at you as a guy that um isn't because it's your your the way you're playing it's because teams need you like the way you play the game um defense one i mean the teams i can think of that that want you and you've been in trade rumors with um i'm not going to throw any out there but um, everybody like a three and D that's the name of the game right now. I mean, in simple terms, I mean, it's just your play style, but when it comes to Indiana, it's been the fit with you and 
Domas, but I think it's been super overrated over the years. Um, just the the fit and the the talk behind it because I just I think you guys do fit well and uh, you complement each other very well. But um, can you speak to that combination a little bit and what he does for you? I mean, offensively and defensively. Yeah. So Domas, you know, with him particularly, he his vision is one thing that. Um, that helps a lot. You know, he's the, the fact he's able to play, he's a passing big, he's able to get assists in a sense. That's something that's super underrated, you know, for being a five man. So at times when, you know, he's, he requires a lot of attention down in the post, you know, he's one of the very few, you know, traditional centers we have in this game. So when he's getting doubled or whatnot, and I'm spotted up on the perimeter, like he's, he's constantly looking for kickouts in a sense. So that's one thing that can navigate and help me. Um, and defensively, he's gotten better at being able to guard perimeter players. It's like, I can guard the perimeter, but I'd much rather be around the basket where I can block shots, you know, obviously. Um, so um, I also think that there's times where we play where I'm the five and he's on the bench and vice versa. Like there's times where, you know, we have the luxury of having two fives, you know, two, you know, starting level fives on the same team. So we don't always have to play together. So you kind of get the best of both worlds in that sense. So, you know, the way he plays the game uh, requires a lot of attention. So that's just easier shots for me. And then when I'm out there, I'm, you know, by myself, the five is my natural position. So. Have you always from a young age prided yourself on the defensive end? I mean, coming out of college, I mean, that's basically what you're being scouted on. And that's what the big intrigue about you was, but um, you personally, I mean, did you pride yourself at a young age on the defensive end and say, this is where you're going to make your mark? Most definitely, bro. I didn't learn how to play basketball until I got to the NBA. So like, I didn't, you know, it's, it's easy in high school. You can go out there, you're the biggest person out there, throw you the ball and go to work college. You know, you, you know, it's, it's not, it's, you learn a little more of a structure, but you know, defensively. Yeah. I've always been a, a shot blocker. I've averaged like what, like seven, eight blocks in, in high school. Like it's always just been something I've always had a knack for, you know, I just, you know, I feel like shot blocking is not necessarily like something you can teach. It's either you got it or you don't. You can teach positioning, you can teach how to get to the other side and read help, but to block a shot, it's either you got that you got it or you don't, you know. And that's something I've always had. You know, I've had to work, you know, tirelessly on my body to be able to defend like out on the perimeter or whatnot, I'd be able to defend the pick and roll. Because, you know, being seven feet, like you have to be able to be mobile in this day and age. You can't just be like a big stiff in a sense. And that's something that, you know, I was and I had to be able to work to, you know, to get to be mobile in a sense. So you know, I started taking more pride in it in my first couple of years in the league, knowing that I can, you know, leave my mark there. What do you love about shot blocking? Well, it's just a momentum changer. Like if anything, it's just, is you know, someone goes in for a dunk and you block it. Like, like I love being on the road. Cause like, uh, I love being on the road and just like silence in the crowd and just the oohs and ahs in the sense. And then, you know, once you're down there, you can damn near see like the fear, like defenders, like our offensive players, eyes and sense. Like, they, don't, they don't want to come sure. to the paint. You know, then when I, I notice it person when I'm on the bench, when I'm on the bench, I think teams make it a focal point to get to the rim. Then when I'm out there, they're a little more hesitant. So shot blocking, obviously one of the best parts of your game, which you probably, we talked uh, before we came on about Houston and Dallas, and you probably got that from the, the great Houstonian Hakeem Olajuwon, I would imagine as one of your favorite <laughs> teams growing up. I'm playing. Um, also, I want to point out, by the way, we were talking about your statistics. Um, you are averaging the second most points of your career. You're taking the second least amount of shots of your career. So another interesting point, kind of leading back to what we're saying, it seems like everything's kind of coming together. Um, you talked about college, playing in college, and I'm a Texas Longhorn. Um, and obviously you were a Texas Longhorn and I remember you in college. I wanted to ask you, what was it like playing for Rick Barnes? 
<laughs> That's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I, I will I will start <laughs> off by saying I was <laughs> not I was not a fan of Rick Barnes. So don't you don't feel the need to hold back. But I did not like Rick Barnes, and I was just wondering. I try to try to learn if maybe I was misguided or what the players think when they played for him. You know, Rick was. Um, hmm. Can I, I'll say Rick. Rick I was just going to say, because it seems, you know, I'll, I'll let you gather your thoughts, but um, yeah. from my perspective, man, he seemed like the kind of coach that did like a lot of old school shit, not necessarily for a reason, you know, making you like go stick somebody yeah. at half court, even though they can't shoot or dribble, you know, making you hustle right. every possession on some like old school type shit. Um, and the kind of coach that would get the most out of maybe lesser players, but didn't know how to coach more talented players. That was my, as a fan, that's what I always thought. Yeah, you know, if you look at some of the older Texas teams, the more successful ones were like the the gritty, like two stars, like came in there and, you know, like left their mark in a sense. And once they started getting more talent, that's when you start seeing guys transfer, like guys who, you know, I won't say prima donnas, but they kind of had more expectations for themselves. And, you know, they just didn't thrive, but they would have. Um, I think Rick, man, I think that when it comes to this exit and O's, he's got that down packed. Like he, he's a good coach with that. Not the most personable guy out there, but, you know, your coach doesn't have to be your friend. Like, you know, it's, you, you go out there, you go out there, you work. Um, I think for me personally, you know, it's not the fact that we like, didn't like each other. I just don't think that – I don't think we got along. And, like, it was kind of a forced thing. You know, if he was, if he was trying to be friendly with me, I kind of feel like it was forced like because he had to in a sense, right? So I kind of just laid off in that sense. I didn't really, you know, care for it outside of basketball. You know, if we're on the court, then, you know, let's go out there and hoop. We're like, we're – this is the business that like uh, mindset of things. So when I was there, I didn't have a business mindset in college. Like I was 18 years old. You know, I was a number two recruit, like in the nation. Like I came in there expecting, you know, to play right away and start and, uh, you know, go out there and make a name for myself in a sense. And he made me earn and work for everything, which I respected. That's one thing I will say I respected about it. I, just because you're, you know, you're number two recruit, this and that is me. You know, it's just going to be handed to you. Cool. I respected that. But you were right about the, his like his old school philosophies and the ways of doing things. Like he was, he he had this thing where he doesn't cuss. Like like <laughs> he went on like this 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 like this this Bible tour. Um, you know, like by the like, time I got there, but he did everything that wasn't cussed, everything in between, like, as far as berating players and whatnot, and kind of just getting into you. And you know, we just didn't click. And uh, I stuck it out. I you know I played how I had to play. I did this. Yeah, that's nothing. It was his way of the highway too. Like. I remember specifically, I got in the game. Like his biggest thing was, he wants me to be the next Lamarcus Aldridge. Like you're gonna be the next Lamarcus Aldridge. You're gonna be this. You're gonna be that. So like, if you notice, every time I got the ball in the post in college, I shot a turnaround like over my right. Oh no, god. Like, yeah. Right. So every <laughs> damn near every move I made in the post was a turnaround jumper, high release. Right. I remember we were working on it one day. He tells me, "This is gonna be your shot. You need to perfect this. This, this, and that." I remember I got in the game and I shot a hook shot just over my left shoulder, and it's a regular right shoulder hook. He subs me out and he says, what did I tell you? I was like, what, what, what did you tell me? He goes, right shoulder, turnaround jumper. I was like, oh. That's not how Lamarcus did <laughs> That's so whack said, because right, so, it's like he's turning basketball into something mechanical instead of letting you feel it out. Yeah, and that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like I had to be real mechanical there. Don't get me wrong. I had, I had a lot to learn when I got to college. I didn't know, like I said, how to play in the perimeter. I don't know really much about the college basketball game. but the way he was trying to use me and structure me, I feel like it hurt my value. And that's one thing that I was, I wasn't really fond of, or wasn't a fan of. So I knew I had to get out of there. I knew I had to kind of like, you know, just try my chances in the, uh, in the draft workouts and you know, see what happened. I feel like if I would have stayed, um, I would have hurt myself 
And, you know, Shaka obviously came the next year, and I didn't know he was going to get fired in a sense. But just the way that year went, it just wasn't – it wasn't the right fit for me. So, do you, so to confirm, you do – you did think at the time that playing under Rick Barnes and in that program would have hurt you in terms of development instead of just – like that, that kind of contributed to you jumping after one year? Most definitely. I think that – I think that once I got there, you know, I was there with the guys, like – they tricked me, by the way. Like when I went up, when I was on my recruiting visit, they were like, "Oh, you're gonna love Rick, man. He's that guy. This, this, and that." And then I remember my first day on campus during my draft workout. One of his name is Javon Felix. He was like, "Oh, I remember this. him. I remember him." <laughs> well, looked like Darren. Looked like Darren Williams. He had that like didn't yeah, get off the ground, bro. but he had some big shots. You can shoot, yeah, verbatim. This bro, bro said, "Got your dumbass." I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "So, you know, obviously, it's no disrespect to Coach Barnes. Like, I'm." Everything I did was for a reason. I don't regret anything. I obviously I, I am where I am today. Like I went through what I went through, but you know, I absolutely, I, I, I live in Austin. I absolutely love the city of Austin. I love my time at the university of Texas. So it was not, obviously no spike to that. It's just, it just wasn't the right fit. You know, it, it just didn't, sometimes things just don't work out. And obviously I don't regret and I wouldn't have recommended anywhere else. I love the university of Texas, but you know, no, it is what it is. take for what it is. I appreciate and respect the detail there. That was, that was great. Um, what you're saying is, though, you wish you would have went to my alma mater of Kansas, right? You know, that was my second choice. Ah, there we are. That was my second choice. That's funny. <laughs> Love it, bro. Oh, man. What could have been? What could have been? <laughs> so were you actually close considering anywhere else? Kansas. I mean, how close were we? Bro, I was, I, I thought I was going to Kansas. Like, I really man. wanted to go. And then, you know, the... I don't know, like just the, the overthinking in me started considering a lot of different things. I was like, listen, I'm a Texas kid. You know, what about after basketball? The yeah. alumni base of Texas is incredible. You can, those guys arrive for you. You know, if you ever want to go back, you know, if you've ever wanted to anything like Texas is going to have your back, such as being a Texas kid in a sense. Um, obviously the city of Austin, like I love, I never really got to experience Austin itself. So being in a college town, be able to immerse myself in a college city was another thing I experienced as well. And then just, bro, just the relationships you can make in the University of Texas. You can be sitting next to the next, I don't know, Steve Jobs or something. Like, you never know. Like, everybody, there's a lot of, um, from an educational standpoint, there's a lot of people that come out of the University of Texas. So, uh. All facts. All facts, which you don't get at the University of Kansas. Oh. Yeah, you got basketball. You know, oh, yeah, man. You know, don't... Zach, Zach, you know where they love, bro? It's when I took my official visit. It was an hour and, like, 45-minute drive, like, from the Anything. airport just to get to Lawrence. And I was like, Oh my God. Like that, 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 that lost me. A it little took bit. you the country and, mile. And it's an ugly, it's an ugly <laughs> drive too. It's you don't like, know like, Dick, dude. You've never been to Kansas. In your yes, life. I have. Yes, I have. Oh, I've been to the university of Kansas. Yeah, I, I forget. I forget. I forget. It's a nasty there. drive. It's just grass and flatness. But anyway, so um, <laughs> sw switching gears, I wanted to ask you this man, back to the NBA. Um, you have been a pacer, right? And You've made the playoffs every single year except for last season. First round exit, so you know that is what it is. But what is it like playing for a franchise in a state like in Indiana? Folks love their basketball. You know, it's not like y'all are one of the. Right. It's not like Sacramento or something where it's like this desolate franchise, right? Um, so I just kind of wanted to ask what that's like uh, playing, you know, with a for a franchise with such rich history that loves the game of basketball. So that is definitely when you're winning, it's love. I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when we were, you know, we were like the top of the East, like the city definitely embraces you. And even when you're losing in a sense, like they, you know, they embrace you. But like 
they really go for that blue collar, tough dive on the floor. Like they love that type of stuff out here, you know, and being here as long as I have, you know, obviously it's an in and outs of it, but like, you know, it is love when you're winning in this city. You know, this is they everywhere you drive around, there's a basketball hoop, you know, like driving to the city or driving to the, the burbs and whatnot, even driving to the countryside. Everybody has basketball. Everybody loves basketball out there at every level, high school, college, AU, everything. Um, and then when the field house itself is packed out, bro, it's a fun place to play, especially in the fourth quarters. It gets loud. Everybody's on their feet. You know, it's ruckus. I mean, the, the city's been nothing but love to me. You know, ever since I got in there, you know, second home to me, everybody's, uh, was, has embraced me. Um, so it's a lot of fun, you know, you know, losing obviously sucks. It's not, it's not fun for anybody, but like winning in that city, there's not another feeling like, yeah, that's the crazy thing about, to me, at least, um, about places like Indiana, Oklahoma city, even they, they show out for their team, no matter what. Cause like we've talked about, I'm from Houston and home crowd in Houston is really bad, you know, really bad. They, those like lower bowl seats are basically all given out to like big companies and corporations and they don't right. show up. And if they do show up, they show up in like the middle of the second quarter. So it's kind of right. embarrassing when you're watching. And, and I imagine that the players hooping, it has to affect you, right? Like it has oh, to, no, you feel it, you know? So no, no you definitely it. feel it. You definitely see. <laughs> yeah. I got to ask one more question on the defensive end. So where, where do you think you flourish the most? What type of scheme? I know the other day they tinkered with the zone down there, but um, drop switch. I mean, in specific details, I guess. How does Miles Turner flourish? Me specifically, Nate, Nate Yorkin's defense is probably where I was the best because our whole philosophy was we're going to pressure, we're going to pressure to shut up the ball. Like if you get beat, then you have Miles back there. So you know, our guards were constantly getting beat because they were pressuring guys at half court you know, damn near like, you know, trying to cause all this, uh, monotony and whatnot. Um, so when those guys would go downhill, then it was literally just me and the guard, you know, the, the big was obviously rolling and whatnot. And, you know, if you have a, if you have like a lob threat guy, then obviously that's tough. You're in a two on one situation, but there's not a lot of those guys, you know, left in the league in a sense, but you know, his deepest last year was just funnel everything to miles, funnel everything to me. And that's where I got the most, uh, my most blocks, you know, and that's when I was kind of doing my best. So, that's kind of where I was able to make my mark in a sense as far as from a, a defensive standpoint or scheme wise. But um, bro, I'm versatile, bro. I can do it all. Like I don't really sure. I don't really have a you know, have a preference for anything. It's just, you know, it's, it just comes to a point of just me. You just gotta man up and do it. <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, that that makes sense actually. You I mean you said it, you took the words out of my mouth, but he basically used you as a safety and you swept it up. And that's why you, you know, you had a career high on blocks and led the league. Um, you don't have to go into detail about this if you don't want to, but I am curious about Nate Yorkren and like what that whole thing was, that that whole debacle on the sideline, all that. Um, any detail you want to give yeah. me? And if you don't want to talk about it, don't have to. Uh, no, I'll go into it a little bit. Like, you know, I, you know, just for you know, one, like Nate, Nate is going to get, he's going to get a bad rap just because of everything that went down. One thing about Nate is that he really cared, bro. He, he just he came off a championship. I think he really wanted to bring that and adopt that championship mentality in Indiana. You know, I just think that being a first year head coach, you know, there's a lot of ego that comes with that. And you have a lot of like, this is like, I know what I'm doing. Like, don't like, like I got this, but it gets a sense where you don't always know exactly what you're doing. You know, and you have to accept that in a sense. He's trying to, he kind of tried to accept that like later in the year, but throughout the year, he wouldn't kind of let go of that ego in a sense. And that's one thing I think that hurt him and hurt his tenure in Indiana. But yeah, bro, it, it was a lot. Uh, you know, I think that that whole debacle on the sidelines, I think that was just the entire year just brewing. 
And, you know, it, there's, there's a viral video. You saw what happened. You know, Govid, like, he he hit a shot, and then he kind of, like, looked at the coach and was like, yo, sit, 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 sit the fuck down, sit the fuck down. I got this. And one of our coaches was not, you know, he don't play that. He don't play that. Like, he, he's a head coach. He was G. Foss, like, you know, he'll keep professional, but, like, as a man, like, he wasn't really trying to play that. So he walked out there, and everything just went downhill after that. It was, it was really bad, you know. There was never no fights or anything like that. Nobody ever threw hands, but there was a lot of verbal altercations after that, a lot of stuff in the locker room that we was in. You know, it was a lot. But, you know, that's I, I, don't, I'm not, I won't go into supreme detail, but, like, Nate himself, I think that, you know, he could have had a better tenure here um, if he went about things a little bit differently. But all in all, like, X knows he's a he was a good coach. Like he knew what he was doing. It just came to a yeah. sense of you know it's gonna execute it. <clears throat> well, okay. So I won't. I appreciate you sharing that, and I won't go further. But I'll, I just want to know or ask, um, as a team, when that is happening, how does that play itself out? You know, like in the locker room, do people click up mutiny style? Like what? Like how does that play itself out? Bro, honestly, I, you just gotta laugh, bro. Like <laughs> all that stuff. All that stuff that happened last year, it's, it was like a movie, like literally, like obviously, you know, the losing stuck, you know, not making the playoffs. That was a first for me, but man, it's just, you got to take it for what it is. You know, I don't think guys clicked up in a sense, but sometimes that's, that's good for a team. Sometimes it makes a team band together a little bit more like, Hey, like not on a, not on a like revolt type of thing, anything like that, but it kind of makes a team band together more like, you know, we have to be more connected than ever because of all the stuff that we're going through. Seems like the chemistry is good on this team. It seems like uh, when I look at this Pacers roster and the dudes on there, it just seems like a, just a bunch of mature dudes that play winning basketball, um, but just it's coming together and getting this healthy team together now. But um, from what I'm seeing and hearing, you're the vocal leader at times. They're the energy, but is there a true vocal leader to this team? Like I know emotionally, I feel like energy wise, you're the leader, but um, but what about vocally? I mean. Or is it just a bunch of quiet guys that lead by action, actions like it might seem? It's a combination of both. You know, I think that we have a lot of mild-mannered guys. Like yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm, obviously, if you've heard any interview ever, like, the you press. know, that's, the, that's what you get. Uh, that, that's <laughs> Malcolm. You know, he has times where he amps up and he turns up in a sense. But, like, as far as vocal leadership, you know, it's definitely me, Malk, and then uh, Tory Craig is another one that we just brought in this year who's, you know, who's obviously been on winning teams, just, just came off the finals run. Um, and from that standpoint, it's probably us, you know, Domas here and there will chip in here and there, but he's like more of like a, he's a really emotional player. Like he's okay. angry. Like he's, he's on he sees red. You know what I mean? Everybody's like, oh, all right, here we go. You know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> um, but no, nah, man, I think that when you look at Indiana Pacers, it's not, it, it's funny because, you know, we're not like this Hollywood ass team, you know, you're not going to have, you know, we have Domas is obviously our all-star in a sense, but then you have players that you just get shit done. Like yep. you know, Malcolm, like Karis, all these guys are not like the most like uh, like Hollywood esque, you know, for sure. like, guys out there in a sense. And that kind of that can hurt or help you, you know. You you're, you know your blue collar, you get you get stuff done, but you know to that sense, like nobody nobody wants to watch us play. <laughs> so it hurts. It hurts to that from that aspect. But you know, I think that once we kind of lock in and settle into you know what we want to do, you know, we're, we're, we'll we'll get done what we need to get done. Yeah. All right. So go oh. for it. Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, I think you, you mentioned the blue collar kind of, you know, nature of the team. I feel like that's how Indiana's been a lot of the times, the, the Pacers, and it reflects the state. I mean, only missed the playoffs, I think, twice in the last like 10 or 11 years. Um, it just seems like every year it's some iteration of tough, hard-nosed guys, not necessarily like 
a LeBron James or some superstar like that. But, but I know, as a, like, like I said, as a Rockets fan, I hate playing Indiana because I know every night, even if, even if your team's not doing well, you could lose on any given night to the Pacers because they bring it. Um, I was going to ask, unless you wanted to follow up on this, Zach, I was going to no, ask yeah. you a question. This is my last basketball question. Um, and then we'll just ask you a couple off-court questions and we can let you get on your way and enjoy your Thursday night in the beautiful city of Charlotte. But um, who is the hardest player that you have guarded at the NBA level, whether that's individually being broken off in an ISO situation or whether that's just your team having to prepare for that player? Bro, bro, prime to Marcus Cousins. That was wow. legitimately like, that was legitimately like my welcome to the league, like <laughs> you're a little boy moment. Like it was, it was, it was crazy. So the Marcus Cousins of late, you see him on the perimeter, he's shooting threes, like he's, you know, he, he's handling the ball, whatnot, DHOs, no. Like when I first started guarding, he was all post, all paint. You know, he, he had the ability to step out and shoot, but everything he did was in the paint. And my first two years, I had, I had no answer for him. Like I, I remember my first year, I had just came up high. We had played Golden State, I had 31 points. You know, I was feeling myself a little bit. It was, and we, had, we were playing back-to-back. We played Sacramento literally the next night. And um, we had four bigs, well, three and a half. We had like we had basically three bigs. We all fouled out, every single one of us. <laughs> and I was the last line of defense. Like I had to guard him a little bit in like the the third quarter. And he, he I think he had fifty. Was it fifty five? He had like fifty five points. And I literally was like, I looked at Coach Vogel. I was like, Yo, I don't know what to do, man. Like I would say, I don't know what to do, bro. He was talking shit. He was, he was, <laughs> he was bodying me, like pushing me around, and like I just didn't have anything for him. And like to this day, that's the story. Like I always, uh, I always tell people because it's like that was like my real, just like humbling moment. Because you go from scoring a career high, yeah, like thirty points against the what the seventy-two and nine Warriors or whatever the record was, to playing the Marcus Cousins and have like a career low and him just abusing you like on national television. So. That's yeah. crazy. It's like that West Coast road trip, but um, then you get to the to the second night of the back to back. Boogie's always been because he played for the Rockets last season. Obviously, different player. He's hurt and gotten older, but he's very scary to me. He seems like one of the top guys in the league that I think unanimously people don't want to mess with. He seems like one of those guys that when you're on the block with him, he just moves you without even trying. He just moves you. Like his body is so big and strong that one move and like you know even someone as big as you just gets moved so that's oh he's 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 long too that's what people don't realize like his wingspan is crazy he's like stand up and he can scratch his kneecap type thing like he's <laughs> he's huge and he's he was obviously more mobile before he got injured and whatnot but he's mobile and he just knows how to use his body and and he's probably like clinically insane too so that does like that, <laughs> that combination of stuff it's just a, it's just a tough uh, player to guard I miss Prime Boogie, man. I, I miss his explosions, his mental lapses, and all of that jazz. I think I feel like Jokic would be the one guy that you can kind of compare him and just how he uses his body so much down low now. Um, but uh, speaking of physical interactions down low, I mean, Rudy Gobert last week, what was that? He's tugging on your shorts a little bit and got tangled up. <laughs> Bro, that had, that had been brewing for a minute. I think like I think I won't even get, I'm, I'm not even going to get too much into yeah, it. Basically no like, yeah, yeah. So basically all game, like Rudy, all his, all, he scores it all, all, all dunks and all stuff in the paint basically. Right. So he had done, he had like caught a lob and like, kind of like stared me down. I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. Whatever. I kind of just let it go. But then there was a, uh, it happened again. Like I went up to block a shot and like during the clock, I gave him like a dump off pass 
and he dunked it and like he like tried to kick me. He like swung on the rim and like tried to kick me. I was oh, like, oh damn. Yo, I was like, yo, what is up with bro? And then we were running down the floor. And then I started I started barking at him a little bit, but the ref was like, hey, go to your bench. So it was like during a timeout. I was like, all right, whatever. So then when he it was the fourth quarter, or whatever, when we went up and I blocked the shot, like I think I like I said this after everything. I said, give me that shit. I said after every block, whatever, right? And then he pulled me down and I was like, I looked at the ref, I said, yo, I know you saw that. The ref just kept running. I was like, all right, so I gotta take matters in my own hands. You know, he yeah. put his hands on me first. So that's when I pushed him, whatever. And I didn't, I was, I didn't expect him to grab me like that. I thought he was about to just get in my face or get buck to buck. He, le- he legit grabbed me and tried to tackle me. So I had to defend myself at that point. <laughs> and that shit was funny, bro. Cause like, he like, he grabbed me, tackled me, bounced off me a little bit. was trying to throw me around. And then, you know, it's NBA. So obviously you, know, you have 20 security guards right. and everybody's running towards, everybody's running towards you when shit happens. But like at that point, like I didn't know what was going to happen. If he was going to swing or if he was going to, you know, anything that happened in the, in that little 10 second span or whatever. But like, I ain't no bitch. So I had to defend myself. Ugh. Hey, you so got the dub. You got you the said dub. It was building yeah. up. Is, there, is that like an ongoing thing with y'all? No, I mean like throughout the game when he was like oh, talking oh. shit after like, you know, swinging on the rim and like staring me down, all type of stuff. And I, yeah. So, so that being said, how, <clears throat> what are your thoughts or how did you feel? Cause this was a big topic on Twitter as well. Jokic and, and Markeith. Um, how did you feel my person? I'll just tell you what I think. And then you tell me how you feel. I thought, Obviously, Marquise Morris isn't stupid, and he's got the reputation he's got. Um, I thought he loaded up on purpose to hit Jokic in the side and walked away on purpose to make basically to to negate Jokic from being able to run up on him, right? Hit him and just kind of walked off, like yeah, to make him come back. It was a blowout too at that point. You're not going to come tap somebody on the shoulder and say, "Hey, turn around." And so Jokic went and hit him with just like a little shoulder. So, what do you think about that? Yeah. So here's what I think happened. I think they they got the ball. They're running a transition. And this happens a lot in the NBA. We call it a burn. Like you, you stop, you stop the transition. You stop the run by just taking a hard foul or just yeah. like wrapping somebody up. Now Morris, like he's both of them. They, I'm not gonna say they're dirty players, but like they're physical guys. They do stuff like that all the time. He chucked them pretty hard. Like in that situation, it's like, yo, that was that was too much. You know what I mean? So Jokic took matters in his own hands and loaded up and and pushed his ass down. So yeah, you can call it a cheap shot, but he also had it coming because that was a hard foul. And if that was, you're not just going to, you're not just going to load up and do that to anybody. So yoga took manager of his own hands. And then yeah, it turned into what it turned into. Yeah, no, I agree. Cause like I'm saying, I think Markeith turned around on purpose, not thinking Jokic was about to do that because I don't think he did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think he did it on purpose. Cause like, he's like, you're not going to hit me yeah. in the back. And if Jokic doesn't do anything the, for the people clowning Jokic, if he doesn't do anything, he just basically let Markeith check him. And right. if you look at the replay, yeah, man, one of those, sorry. Punk him. You let him, you let him punk him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And one of those angles looks like I saw it afterwards. It looks really bad. It, like if Jokic wasn't so strong and big, he could have buckled his knee. His knee kind of like wobbles for a half second. And then, he's, you know, and that could end his season, alter his career and the Nuggets season. So you cannot play that shit. So I'm completely with Jokic. But um, Zach, any more basketball questions before we get these last ones in? No, we'll get these last quick hitters and get, get them out of here. All right. Start it off. All right, man. What are you What are you into off the court outside enjoying a nice little glass of wine there? That, that's a yeah. Pinot, or what are we What are we drinking? It's called Nineteen Crimes. It's a little cab. I, uh, I went to Napa Valley. To, I went to Napa Valley this summer, and I kind of started getting to a little bit more. Um, okay, okay. It's something like even if you have like a glass every now and then, smooth. You know, I'm chilling. I kind of like it. Watch my shows and whatnot. But you investing uh, at all yet, or investing in that stuff? 
I haven't invested in any wineries or anything like that. I'm trying to go, I'm trying to start into getting some land because I feel like land is something really prosperous and that, that can get a lot of uh, stuff going over time. But you know, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very frugal process. So, uh, gotta take my time with that. But no, as far as hobbies, bro, like I think one thing that I think people know is like, I feel like I was, like I'm a huge, like avid, like uh, those big sets and stuff like that, like the 9,000 piece, 8,000 piece sets. Like that's my type of Damn. thing. I'm into that. Right. Put, yeah. Putting puzzles together, whatnot, Rubik's cubes, uh, anything that requires me to think a little bit. I'm like, I've always been into that as well. Um, super chess? nature. I enjoy it. Yeah. Not chess. Everybody's no? like, Hey, you should play mm. chess. Never got into chess like that. Nah. Um, super into nature. I really enjoy hiking. I really enjoy kind of being outside and kind of getting into a, a certain like a you know like a areas and stuff like that. Like we were in Denver for like three days, and awesome. I was able to yeah I was able to get down south a little bit and like hike around a little bit and just kind of a you know explore outside and whatnot. It's fun for me stuff like that. I would say um, chess is a great game. There was a point in time where I would wake up and just play chess on my phone just to get my brain working. Um, like in right. the morning. No, that's fun. But so my question is a two-parter. Um, number one, on nights like tonight, where it looks like you're, I think you're probably in your hotel room in Charlotte, um, where you got time to kill. Part one of the question is, what do you do typically? Um, you know, when you're just kind of chilling, waiting for game day to come around. And number two, do you kick it with any of your teammates? Like, who's your squad, at least on this specific team? Yeah, uh, the first part of the question, I think, bro, I got to get outside the hotel room. So if it's like a city. Charlotte is actually like stuff to do. It's nice, but you know, if it's a city like I don't know, it's like Sacramento or like Oklahoma City, I was going out for a walk, even if it's like a ten minute walk. I got to be outside. Like I got to just get outside of the confines of my room. Uh, I kind of try not to do too much basketball related stuff. Like I won't watch. Too, this is like a great game. Like I'm not going to watch too many basketball games. I'm not really going to, you know, immerse myself in it. Like I, I try to watch film early in the day, but as far as my evenings and whatnot, like just take to myself. You know, it's my time to myself. That's my job. I go out that show up and do my thing. But outside of that, I like to just, you know, just, you know, kick it a little bit. It takes time to myself, you know, mentally and whatnot. Um, every now and then we'll have to see, we'll have some team dinners and, and whatnot, or, you know, some of the best ones go out. But as far as the guys I kick it with, like you know, Malcolm, he's one, me and him would get along well, obviously, just because of the, uh, we just have similar interests and whatnot. TJ Warren's another guy that's been, uh, that I've been tight with. And then uh, every now and then, like TJ McConnell, he'll, he'll, he'll come around a little bit. But uh, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Just get outside the room. That's the biggest thing. So Miles Malcolm and the two TJs. Okay. You travel international much? Um, I try to. So I got out a little bit this summer. <clears throat> My the most experience I had with it was doing the FIBA basketball a couple of years ago. I was able to go to Australia, I was able to go to China, like like six different cities in China and whatnot. Um uh where'd I go this summer? I got I had some of the Caribbean Islands this summer. I went to St. St. Martin, St. Bart's that was go. dope. Yeah. And um trying to hit I'm trying to hit all those Nestle Islands or whatever, those island chains and stuff that when I can, but I haven't been able to travel outside of basketball as much as I would have liked to. Awesome, man. I love it. So we always ask everyone on the show, um, unless Zach, you got anything else. I was going to wrap up with this. Um, this will be our last question and then we'll get you out. By the way, this, we do a lot of these. We talk to a lot of people. Um, we've had some really good ones. The insight that you brought to the substance of actu- the actual game and detailing it in the way you did is some of my favorite stuff I've heard. So thank you for that. Very, very awesome answers. Um, we always ask everyone, man, if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, oh, in history, man. who would they be? Oh, man. It's, it's a, I know. We put them on the spot, I'll, and people are like, say, off, the top, off the top of my head, bro. Uh, <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Um, 
Okay, first one is Tyler Crater, bro. I'm mm. a huge Tyler okay. Crater guy. Okay, I really enjoy, like I enjoy type of just like the person he's been to, the person that he is, and like this bro, his whole his mindset. I don't know. I think it's pretty dope. So him, he would definitely be up there. Um, I would throw Barack in there, Barack Obama in there, just go President Barack Obama in there because of okay. uh, you know being a black man and be able to, to lead this country. Like bro, I can't imagine. Not yeah. even from a pressure standpoint. From a pressure standpoint, you have the entire culture on your back, in a sense, right? Like you're you're at the highest level, the highest echelon of what you do, and you have a culture on your back, and you have to appease other cultures. I don't know. It's just a lot of, uh, from a leader standpoint, I'm curious to see what you know what his what philosophy was. Um, you think my, uh, Malcolm has a legit chance after after it's all said, bro? You know, <laughs> funny story. He had, he actually he actually hates that nickname. He hates being called Prez. Good to like hear. That. Good to hear. Yeah, no, he he just he he rolls with it because that's just what everybody calls him. But he why he, why does actually, he hate it? I don't know, man. He just thinks that it's just so. I don't, how did he describe it? Like he's, he's being like, labeled based off something. Yeah, he was like he was like, he was like he was like, bro, this is on black and I speak well. Like, doesn't mean like I'm the fucking president. It's like, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell him like it's deeper than that, bro. Like you have the the mannerisms of looking whatnot, but he just doesn't go for it. It's the jaw, the chisel jawline for I it. All. It is, yeah. I think it's an intelligence compliment outside of the look. Yeah. Yeah, no, man. He just Malcolm just has a. He's a very. He has a. Glad you said that. That's the first no, time. I, I get that. it because people always yeah. when I especially when I had longer hair, people still tell me this though. They're always first thing and they always tell me white people usually, but they'll be like, "Hey, man, have you seen the show The League? You look like Raffy," and I'm just like. <laughs> I'm just I guess I'll, you man, the first thing popping your head, a brown boy, but okay. Um so Barack, uh, Tyler yeah. the Creator, that conversation. Hell, hell dinner, right? yeah. Incredible. But who's yeah. number three? Number three. Um man, I feel you gotta you gotta throw a basketball player in the man's you know, have to. Um bro, I put a keem in there. There we go. That's, that, 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 that is a good one because, like, yes, bro, especially, especially for someone foreign in a sense, and to be able to come out here and dominate the way that he did. And at a time, not like saying a race, it was like super race in a sense, but like it's not, you know, the times were, were very different back then. You know, coming to a city like Houston and having to play the way he did, having the championship, having the footwork that he did, just a mindset. I, I'd be curious to like to pick his brain a little bit. And also, people forget this he's Muslim. So, religion, like, he's a yeah, black there Muslim. You go. So, like, you know, race, religion, and he played while fasting. He put some numbers up while wow. he was on an empty stomach with no water. So fathom that. Um, that's an incredible answer. That, that, I that, love that. And was I'm that your lying. guy growing up? My guy growing up? Nah. Oh, you're talking, you're talking to the Ruth. Hakeem. Hakeem, was that your guy? Nah, man, growing up, like, I'm a Dallas kid, bro. Dirk was obviously one of those I looked up to. I'd probably say, I would probably say Dirk, KD. And uh, in LA, Lamarcus Aldridge, those are guys that like, I really like. Just enjoy watching. Oh, fucking and Chris Bosh, of course. Like Chris Bosh, oh, guys too. I really enjoyed watching Chris play, being a Dallas guy as well. So yeah, those guys. Okay, and so I lied. My last question is actually this: Who's who's your goat, bro? <laughs> I mean, just gonna end up. Some- no, no, it's, it's it's actually. I'm glad you asked that. It's an interesting question. Like my goat is is Jordan. Just because, we go. like, you know, my, my go to Jordan is because of, you know, bro, he literally changed the entire culture of the game, right? Average. Changed the entire culture of the game. The, average, the, the numbers he was putting up, the defensive numbers. But, bro, LeBron is right there. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about athletic ability, this is that. The way LeBron thinks the game is at 
is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Obviously, I've been able to see it in person. Never get, never got to play against Jordan. Didn't get to like, watch him play. But I grew up watching LeBron, and I played against him the past, you know, what six, seven years now. That playoff series when we played against him in Cleveland, the way he was able to just dissect like our our defense and even like call out every single offensive set we were running was the most incredible things I've ever seen. And that playoff run in general was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It's just the way he was able to go out there and assert himself and play the game that he did with the team that he had, you know, no, no disrespect to the, you know, obviously the teammates he had, but it's not like he had a a super team. He was able to take his, his team and go out there and beat one of the, what, like the, the best record warrior, the best record team of all time. So bronze out there. I hate that. They hate what people say, LeBron, MJ, they're two different, two different players, two completely different players. You should be able to appreciate both of them for what they did. But, my personal goal is MJ just because of um, the way he, I think he changed the game and the way he put like an entire culture on his back. And you're yeah. a defensive guy. Jordan's better in defense. I mean, yeah, that's true. It's not Mike, good is, twist. Yeah. Mike is my goal. Um, and I spent way too much time in the past arguing about LeBron and Mike, but I agree with you. It's at a point where it's one A and one B. Just take your pick. You know, they're, right. you know, they, they, they do different things. They're really not similar. I think the magic comparison, I think like a mixture of magic and Mike is more appropriate for LeBron because he can, he's a floor general and Mike was more of like an, an assassin scorer and defender. Um, but man, no, I appreciate all those answers. So Indiana Pacer, Texas Longhorn, Miles Turner, we appreciate your time, man. Wish you the best uh, for the rest of the season. Hope you keep this amazing production up. Hope you get a dub tonight, tomorrow uh, in Charlotte playing against LaMelo Ball. That'll be interesting. And um, yeah, man, thank you so much. Um, and we look forward to maybe doing this again at some point. Of course, man. I appreciate y'all. Shout out to Ballers Life, too, man. man I remember getting them, getting the mixtapes back in high school. It was a huge deal for me, bro. So, yeah. Hell yeah. I remember those as well. Yeah. Shout out to the brand, baby. But, um, Miles, cool. appreciate you, man. I'm um, enjoying the growth this year. Keep grinding. And uh, I hope you pull that defensive player of the year. We're going to be gunning for you. You're mine right now. And hey, if Gobert can make a bunch of all star games, so can you. Level up, Love, baby. Man. Appreciate, appreciate y'all, man. Be easy. Yep. Later. Thank you.